Hello and welcome to Infound Media Stuff Game Ball My f- My friends Kyle We lost to the freaking Raiders guys We lost to the Raiders uh, yeah. Oh yeah I don't Trash. How do we even start Trash. from losing to the Raiders Speech no worky <laughs> You're like well oh. We're three days late that's probably because uh, we've come down to earth in the oh, most that's just in embarrassing how much, way possible. That's just how much denial I'm personally in right now. Is this, It's been like three days of, I don't know, this is what Bella must have felt in Twilight when the vampire up and left her, you know? It's just like, <laughs> no reason to live. Everything sucks. The sky is a different shade of gray, even living in the state of Washington. Shout out to a friend of the podcast, Robert uh, Pattinson. Well, and also friend what- of the podcast. <laughs> But what also really sucks is what we talked about in the last podcast, like uh, the last time that we saw the Raiders was all together. We had a great time saying Derek Carr sucks. It was just like a total beatdown. And then, of course, the next time that we play him, we lose. And this isn't even that much better of a Raiders team. I don't want to hear it. It's not like this is, you know, night and day. They, I don't know, drafted uh, the, the 72 Dolphins or something. Wait, was it 72 Dolphins? Whatever undefeated Dolphins team. I can't even take it. Uh, okay, well, we've done our best that we can to dissect this game, and we're going to do the best we can to dissect it with you here today on Fountain City Sports Media. So along with my good friends Kyle and Armando, let's get going. Let's rip off this Band-Aid. All right, so the Kansas City Chiefs drop to the now Las Vegas La- Las Vegas Raiders 40 to 32. Did it Reese did did you almost say Las Vegas Lakers? Las Vegas. Because by the way, the Lakers won the championship. That's the most Okay, first of all, Armando, have you ever noticed that he cuts that every time you do that? That never makes it into the podcast. Well, it's going to make it this time because the Lakers won, baby. Uh, the it, Lakers are the best team in the NBA. No one's better. Forget the national pundits who were picking the Clippers from the beginning. Clippers suck. Lakers rule. RIP Kobe. I I I still would have picked the Clippers over the Lakers. The Clippers just never got a shot at them. Of course you did, and they lost. Anyway, I just want to say that. Shout out. Love you, LeBron. LeBron is the second greatest player to ever live. Thunder up, baby. Can't buy your way to a title. Well, I didn't say that. He's the GOAT. He is he's number two. And yes, you can buy a way to a title. This is the first mercenary team in NBA All right, history. so to bring us back to the actual topic of this podcast... Remember that since the dawn of time, every hero's journey has had some kind of conflict, right? Like in every Shakespeare drama, it's not just, you don't just get dropped into the action like in the middle, right? There's a certain amount of exposition where we set up like who our hero is, then they go through some crucible and have like a huge problem that they have to solve. This is our problem. I legit didn't know how to come back from that. It was so brilliant. <laughs> I agree. This is most definitely our problem. And, uh, you know, what makes this so frustrating is a lot of people are like, it's one loss, guys. You know, it's not the end of the world. The, the Raiders caught us napping. It's like, ah. The reason this loss is so discomforting is the fact that this was a manifestation of problems we've been seeing all season long that all finally came together in one game, and the results were pretty ugly. That's a great point. You know, it's so, so here's some issues that we, we've got 
facing us right now. And I just want to start with the offensive line, which has been getting plastered since week one. And it doesn't get better this week because Kalecchio Semele is out with what looks like a knee injury. I've heard he tore tendons in both of his knees. Both knees. Now, tendons are different than ligaments. You know, tendons are more supporting things. Ligaments are straight up cables that hold up the suspension bridge. So who knows? Maybe by, you know, the grace of the healing spirits, he might come back later in the season. But guys, what is up with our offensive line? Yeah, I mean, for, first of all, that injury is just terrible. And it's, I mean, uh, it wasn't, you know, there were four injuries in the first two and a half minutes of this game. Uh, you know, it's really rough. And I'm hoping that's not a general trend in the league, but you can't help but wonder if there's some kind of issue with the conditioning and the facilities and this um, odd coronavirus season that we're having. But regardless, we really hope that Osemele comes back healthier. You know, I... I, I think that our O-line is exactly what we thought the O-line was going to be. I think we need to give more credit to the Raiders' defensive line. Like like I said in the in previous weeks, Max Crosby and Colin Farrell are very good defensive linemen, and they know exactly where to expose us on the offensive line to really make it difficult. And we also played the, uh, the uh, Chargers, which sucked. Because the Chargers have a great defensive line. The Patriots were okay, but the Patriots also have a very good defensive line. So I would say that our offensive line was never something that was elite. Mitchell Schwartz is elite. Eric Fisher had some trouble coming back from injury. So the only person that I would say is elite on that offensive line would be Mitchell Schwartz. Otherwise, we're kind of, I mean, it's kind of average. It's kind of average, and this is something that we're going to have to see going forward there 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 is no cure for it going forward and unfortunately we're going to be playing some even better defensive lines like a saints defensive line if we play pittsburgh in the playoffs like this is a pretty big issue going forward but nothing that was surprising to me for this game well i wish i could agree with you on that but two things are problem with that statement number one mitchell schwartz and Eric Fisher aren't playing elite. They are playing at best average to below average right now, and they're supposed to be the bookends propping this offensive line up together. Number two, yes, we've been playing good defensive lines, but these guys have been crushing Pat's pocket, rushing only three or four defenders. You know, it's not like they're blitzing hard on us and sending heat. They're they're losing the numbers game and still winning the prize of getting to Pat. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you there that Mitchell Schwartz has not been playing the way we want him to. I honestly didn't think Eric Fisher was going to play elite coming back from injury, and he didn't really look like he was going to come back very elite, especially against the Chargers. Against the Ravens, I think they were so locked in, it kind of worked for us. But uh, yeah, it's going to be an issue going forward. I mean, even if Mitchell Schwartz comes back into this average or above average play, I mean, we're still going to be playing some great defensive lines. I mean, even the Broncos. I mean, look, even the Broncos, it could could even be a problem for us. Well, right now we're, we're experiencing a chicken or the egg issue because, you know, it's been noted many times by many people right now that Pat is quickly bailing out of the pocket and he's drifting too far back. And that's making it difficult on his offensive line to keep him protected as well. You know, they don't have eyes in the back of his head. But the chicken or the egg issue here is that is Mahomes dropping back too much and causing the offensive line to get blown on their assignments? Or is the offensive line blowing their assignments so quick that Pat has to get out of there and run for his life? That's a great question. But I think if if we think back to the Baltimore game, it was almost the opposite situation where everybody was marveling at how 
brave Pat was and how long he would stay in the pocket, right? Uh, I was going to say it's totally option B because if we look at the beginning of the season when we played the uh, Houston Texans, Patrick Mahomes was a pocket passer, and in a perfect world, Patrick would play in the pocket the entire season because he would rather have a a game-scripted offense where he knows exactly what's going to happen. He moves out of the pocket because of what happens to him. So it's totally option B. Offensive line needs to figure their stuff out. Fortunately, we have the best uh, we, we we have the best quarterback in NFL history. And one of the best athletes, second to Le- LeBron James, that it's going to be easy Boo. for us to adjust to these defensive lines. <laughs> well, I'd like to believe it's going to be easy to adjust these offensive lines, but the problem is like we're in a bit of trouble now because Assembly was our best performing offensive lineman to this point, and he's likely gone. You know, Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher need to get this figured out really quickly because there is no cavalry at this point. You know, we we drafted an offensive lineman to try and help, but the offensive lineman we drafted, along with one of our starting offensive linemen, both opted out at the beginning of the season. So they're, they're not coming back. We got Remmers stepping in right now. You know, I never thought I'd say this, but I almost want Cam Irvin back as a warm body just to plug on this line and try <laughs> something. No, no, we don't want Cam Irving because he's going to injure Mahomes. Well, I don't know. True, but just it just upsets me because this is an issue that's unless they start playing better, this isn't something you can fix later on in the season. You know, right? Yeah, no, I think I, I think the only way that this is going to work out is that if Patrick Mahomes puts up forty points a game. I mean, every single game, and that he's going to have to be working in practice to roll to the left, roll to the right. I think gone are the uh, the uh, days that he's going to be a, a pocket passer. But what season does that remind you guys of? That's 2018 all over again. Well, if we right? want to talk 2018, uh, that's a really good segue into talking about how putrid, I mean straight awful, Bob Suttonness this defense looked <laughs> on Sunday. It was, I mean, it wasn't even a matter of just them like driving the ball down our throats. You know, it was, it was just big play after big play after big play. Our, our safeties and our cornerbacks were just out there sleepwalking. Ward got burned by rugs, and like he was loafing it, man. He could have made a play on him if he wanted, but he was loafing it. What did you guys see? Um. Okay, I'll, I'll jump in. Here's a stat I, I got that just pisses me off. Derek Carr attacked the middle of the Chiefs' defense, completing 12 of his 14 attempts for 234 yards and three touchdown passes to the middle third of the field. That's the most yards and and touchdown passes of any other quarterback in this season. He kept doing the same thing over and over and over and no adjustments, no adjustments. Those those defensive backs would either come up to try to get a um, tight end or someone that was closer to the open of the field, which would then open it up for someone wide open like a Hunter Renfro, like a Darren Waller, like a Nelson Aguilar, like all these people that are just trash, okay? I love Nelson (laughs) Aguilar, but all these people were wide open and Derek Carr kept doing the same thing over and over inexcusable unacceptable that was something going into the season that we said was going to be our weakness and it is proven today armando can i ask you a question sure did you strike a deal with the devil to defeat jimmy butler that required not only the chiefs yeah what's going on here there faust (laughs) 
Well, let's look at the things that went wrong on defense yesterday. You know, we already mentioned the big plays. I just want to drop a stat right here. Henry Ruggs. We all know the guy is fast and maybe faster than Tyree Kill, which he's not. No. Nope. He had two receptions, two receptions for 118 yards. But breaking this down even more, yeah. he had a long reception of 72. So if my math's correct, he had another reception of 56 yards. He had two receptions over 50 yards on us because our defense was playing so putrid. And it's not like Ruggs has been balling out this year. Ruggs has had four total receptions this season before yesterday. We just let him play really well. How much does that hard-fought Patriots game have an impact on this game? Because the bounce backs become tougher once we get past week four, really through the end of the season. The bye week doesn't do a whole lot. And with our earlier point about, you know, four injuries between one Chief and three Raiders in the first two and a half minutes of the game, plus the horrific Dak Prescott injury, multiple other injuries this weekend, too. I, you know, it becomes a question of whether like the conditioning is a problem. So how much of this has to do with an exhausted defense that had to be on the field quite a bit during the Patriots game? I think nothing personally. This was a this was a regular week for us. This was a Sunday to Sunday game. What do you think, Armando? Yeah, I I don't think there was any fatigue there. In fact, there shouldn't be fatigue because Brashad Breeland, it was his first start for the season. So he had fresh legs. Um, Rashad Fenton was now cornerback two or cornerback three, didn't have to face rugs, didn't have to face, you know, certain people unless they switched to Fenton, which is unfortunately what we saw in a couple of plays where he got burned but these defensive linemen actually should have had a better time this time because Brashad was back and Brashad looked good for most of it it was Rashad Fenton and it was Traverius Ward that looked awful like they always do now I want to touch just a, uh, something really quickly though um, I also was going to say Breland missed his first tackle but then after that he was good yeah, yeah, yeah. Brashad, Brashad was good. I have, I don't have much to say there. Um, but actually, Reese, I think Henry Ruggs is a lot better than we think. I think that he works perfectly for Derek Carr because Derek Carr hasn't had a wide receiver like Ruggs. And even though Ruggs had two receptions, like those are bomb plays that can expose a defensive back core like the Chiefs. Because they aren't that great. They've never been that great. Rashad Fenton, we never thought Rashad Fenton was a pro bowler, right? He played well in the playoffs, but he's still Rashad Fenton. But what's really frustrating, though, is that since Bob Sutton's come to town, more specifically since that first Titans game last year, like our cornerbacks and safeties have really tightened the screws in not allowing the big plays. That was a hallmark of the Bob Sutton defenses late in his tenure, was they would just allow big plays, allow big third down conversions, and when they stopped big third down conversions, they probably had some sort of penalty called on them. This hasn't been a trademark of this defensive backcourt for a long time, so just to see like the wheels straight up fall apart the other day was just, it was shocking and it made me sick. Well, it also made me go back to to the beginning of the season when we talked about why did the Chiefs not invest in our defensive backs, right? They were making picks here and there. Of course, they got Snead and Snead's out. You know, hope you get better. But that's something that they still didn't address, and now it's coming to bite us. Like, I'm sure John Gruden watched the Chargers game. He watched the Patriots game, and he said, wait a minute. If Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham can stay in the game, if Justin Herbert can stay in the game against the Chiefs, 
Of course we have a chance to beat them. Of course. Well, I think this is also an issue of the defense was starting to feel themselves a little bit too much, particularly in the last few weeks. And even in this uh, even this last week, John Gruden said, the story of the Chiefs this year is really their defense. That's a feel-good story, man. <laughs> you know, so I think he jinxed us there. But I think Honey Badger missed some tackles. He had one tackle yesterday. Juan Thornhill, who's really been playing better, you know, looking back to his old self, he had one tackle yesterday. You know, Honey Badger bit on one of these plays that allowed for a big touchdown, you know, and that's very undisciplined and unlike him. You know, it's I, I hope this is a wake-up call to them that they can't just kind of show up and, you know, be who they are because they're, they're not Legion of Boom. You know, they're not Legion of Boom. I'm glad you brought that up because Honey Badger is by far our most outspoken uh, defensive player. I think that has to do with, like, you know, he's a veteran, right? He's been around and he's been playing at a high level for a long time now. Um, but at the same time, he's been the most outspoken. He's probably the best on the mic in front of the media, too. Um, and honestly, like a certain amount of like swag and pride is necessary, right? Like that's what we need as a team. But, you know, he's been outspoken this season and even last year when we went to the Super Bowl uh, about how the defense doesn't get any respect, right? Which is historically, at least in the past few years and in the Bob Sutton years, pretty true. Um, where Armando mentioned we'd have to put up 40 a game to sort of ensure a victory. And, and rely on Pat to bail us out, right? But uh, unfortunately, this game is a bit of a wake-up call where if you can point to the last two, um, you know, most particularly the Patriots game, like, yeah, you can say that we, we won that by the defense stepping up when they needed to. But it's also, again, to circle back to Armando's point, that these are issues that we've seen in the first four games that just came back to really bite us this game. And I also think it's relevant the point that we made on the last podcast about how the Raiders being 2 and 2, they very well could have been 3 and 1 or 4 and 0 depending on how the first few games went. You can turn that on us and say that the 4 and 0 Chiefs could, you know, could have gone differently. So, again, I may be segueing to our next point, but I I think these two teams we saw on Sunday may be more closely matched than we want to believe, partially because we just get seduced by the Mahomes versus Derek Carr debate. Well, okay, so well that I guess we can unpack as well. I don't think that we are equivalent. I think that our defense is so bad that yes, it could become equivalent in some uh, in some aspects, but like Patrick Mahomes should be putting up 40 points and we should be limiting every every single team to 20 points, right? We're not asking the Chiefs defense to be elite. We always say this. We're just asking to be average. Letting the Raiders put up 40 points is not average. That is awful. That is awful. Just just 21 points, right? Give Derek Carr three touchdowns. That's fine. Let them be average, but they were not average. And I have another thing that pisses me off. Then they piss me off is one of my favorite things about last year's game was that we got to Derek Carr so many times, like him being sacked and us like cheering Derek Carr sucks next to a Raiders fan was one of my favorite moments of a, a, a Christmas moment, perhaps. We got to Derek Carr once in this game, and it was Willie Gay Jr. that got to him. By the way, Willie Gay played a great game. Love that he, he is sure now Second incorporated in the start. offense. But we, but we needed an all-blitz like package in order to get Derek Carr in this game. Chris Jones was there. Frank Clark was there. And they didn't get to Derek Carr? 
inexcusable. I'm going to agree with you 150%. Stonks way up on that take, Armando. What's extremely frustrating here is that, you know, I know we're seduced by the Chiefs being the Chiefs and, you know, being like, oh, we're better than the Raiders. I'm not going to lie, this Raiders team is talented. You know, Ruggs is definitely a talented player. Waller is definitely a talented player. David Carr is not an inept quarterback. There is talent on that team. However, the Raiders right now, from front office to on the field, is like the equivalent of a car you Frankenstein together with parts just because you have a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of great parts. <laughs> I got a BMW engine inside of this Ford truck chassis with these racing tires and an exhaust I took off a of Maserati. It's like, yeah, those are all great things by themselves, <laughs> but together that's a mess. You know, the Chiefs have talent and coaching and a great front office. It was inexcusable to play the way we did yesterday. Second thing Armando said I want to touch down on really quick was like I mentioned, Derek Carr is not an inept quarterback. Derek Carr can throw. You know, he's an NFL-level talent, but he is very easy to expose and make play poorly, which comes from blitzing and getting in his face, which we did absolutely none of yesterday. Also, this maybe undermines my earlier take that we're more evenly matched than we like to think um, because <laughs> I should mention that the Bills held the Raiders to 23 and the Patriots held the Raiders to 20. Uh, exactly. You know, yeah. So, yeah. And the Bills defense isn't playing great. Again, the Bills defense this year is another example of a team that has a lot of talent but isn't, like, necessarily putting it all together. Uh, last thing I want to talk about really quick in regards to this Raiders game and why I think it's so concerning is, as I mentioned, this game was a culmination of a lot of things we've been seeing over the span of the season that just kind of all manifested in one game. So, I am personally worried that for the first time, the script has all been pieced together as to how to beat the Chiefs. Now, it takes it takes a lot of things going your way. This isn't something you just, you know, strut in and go, ah, this is how you beat the Chiefs. It's like, no, you need A, B, and C to go well for you. But so far, what we found out is you take away their running game, step one. We haven't had a running back since we lost Kareem Hunt. Step two. You get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. Okay, he's going to carve you up with that blitz then. Okay. So instead, you get pressure on Patrick Mahomes rushing four or sometimes three. You drop the rest of your players back into man coverage on defense. That is what makes for the ultimately uncomfortable version of Patrick Mahomes. Now, step four, you got to score which the Raiders did in spades yesterday. It's not enough just to have long, sustained drives to keep Pat off the field. As the Patriots showed, if those drives don't culminate in points, it's all for naught. Pat's going to burn you. But they figured out how to beat the Chiefs, man. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen every week. But the blueprint's been laid out. What do you guys think? Is there a point that we can extrapolate here based on, like, the blueprint for a team that is going to have the best chance against the Chiefs? What you were saying here made me immediately think of the primetime Rams game, right? That was just a total shootout. Um, that's not really the battle you want to get into against us. And so maybe based on what you said, again, the Raiders are not a world-beating team like we just covered for half an hour. But maybe their mix of a well-above-average defense in the league paired with pretty dependable quarterback and some new weapons that haven't been seen in the league there's not a lot of tape on that can kind of meet us in all of those areas that you just mentioned 
and have a better chance against us than even, you know, a quote unquote blue blood team like Buffalo maybe this year or Seattle or whatever. Yeah, I I'm going to disagree with Reese and say that this game will never happen again unless it's a really good team. And I say that in respect to the offense and not the defense, right? This is the worst or this is the biggest loss that Patrick Mahomes has ever had in his career. This was an eight point loss and it's the biggest loss of his career. And and this is when the Raiders put up 40, right? Like Pat, Pat had to sit in the sidelines being like, are you kidding me? You guys gave 40 points to the Raiders. Now I have to like be, you know, godlike for us to win this game because we put up 40 on the Raiders. So I don't think this is going to happen again. I think Patrick is really good at adjusting to defenses. You know, we we saw with the Ravens. Ravens did an all-blitz package, and Pat said, fine, that's fine. I'm going to dink and dunk. I'm going to give you the screenplay. Uh, Texans did did not blitz, right? Texans just kind of had some people in the front four. A lot of them were kind of hovering. Pat said, that's fine. I'm going to figure out a way to expose that offense pay or that, that defense. The Patriots had the best defense, I think, against us. Um, the Patriots had that QB spy, right? The QB spy that seems to have been working in, in the past and Patrick was able to adjust. So I don't think going forward that this is going to be an issue for the offense. But you are right, Reese, that in the defense, there is a clear scheme as to what to do against the Chiefs to win. You got to run the ball. You got to use your tight ends. You got to throw to wherever Rashad Fenton is. You got to throw to wherever Traverius Ward is. You have to avoid Bashad Breland. You have to avoid Honey Badger. You have to expose the middle of the field. Right? These are all things that that quarterbacks have tried to do in the past. Right? Lamar tried to do it. Deshaun Watson tried to do it. Justin Herbert almost beat us doing that exact scheme. So I think in the defense we have flaws, but I think offensively Patrick Mahomes is going to find a way. Well, I agree with you there. I mean. Who's to say, would anybody really bet against, had we gotten a stop on that last Raiders drive where they ran out the clock, are we really going to bet against Pat Mahomes not walking us down there, getting a touchdown, a two-point conversion, and us winning a game we should have lost in overtime? You know, I, I think that that, right. that happens probably. But the problem... Yeah, that's how that that's how that Denver game happened two years exactly. ago. Exactly. I mean, you know, but, same but thing. But this was the first time we didn't get a chance for Patrick Mahomes to come in and save us. And, you know, it was a culmination of things that happened throughout the game that wound up, you know, putting the final nail in our coffin, which was we were unable to stop the Raiders from running out the clock. Even though, do you guys know what Josh Jacobs' yards per or, sorry yards per carry were on Sunday? I don't know, 10? 3.3. <laughs> no way. Sure felt like 10, though, didn't it? It felt like any time he punched right into our line, he was coming out with 7 yards. Well, yeah, he's 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 a, 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 a goal line back. Like, when they were in the red zone, you knew that Josh Jacobs was going to hurl our defensive line, which was awful. But also, Devin Booker, I think that's, yeah, Devin, no, not Devin Booker, sorry. Oh, Devin Devante. Booker, the star of the team you should be a fan of? <laughs> Boo, I was born in L.A., it's my birth, it's my birthright. Anyway, Devontae Booker I was born Booker in Waterloo, that doesn't make me a UNI fan. <laughs> Anyway, Devontae Booker came out of nowhere. Like, he he hasn't been playing at all this season. Comes out, has 62 yards. So, yeah, awful. awful. Well, and to throw more fuel onto that fire, Devontae Booker's long was 43. He had 62 yards with a 43 long. That means the rest of the 19 yards came on seven carries. Dude, the Raiders were not gashing us yesterday. We were just letting them have their way with us every run play. 
So this feels like a good segue to me. We're going to talk about the Bills preview in just a minute. But I think before we leave, we've really piled it on the defense. I think there's some offensive issues we really need to talk about here, uh, particularly Sammy Watkins leaving after taking a hamstring injury and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who has really been a non-factor since his debut against the Texans. Which one do you guys want to start with? Uh, we can start with Clyde. Go ahead. Okay. So Clyde... I'm not giving up on Clyde edwards Lair. right? Week one, he had 25 carries. Week two to five combined, he had 56 carries. Okay, so he's not getting the ball as much as he did in that first week, right? Andy's not using him as we thought he was going to use him. One of the biggest features of Clyde edwards Lair is that he was going to be a catching running back, right? He was going to be featured in the offense as a pass catching running back. And he hasn't been that right. We, we didn't think he was going to be this big goal to goal, like goal line touchdown dependent running back. We thought he was going to be used in a way that we can utilize him in that wide receiving core, but he hasn't done that. And I don't know if that's his fault, whether Andy's just waiting for it, but I'm not giving up on him because we haven't seen one of his, uh, his brightest attributes. Well, I don't want to give up on him either, but Man, I was hesitant when we drafted him where we drafted him for the particular reason that I don't want to call him a gadget back because that doesn't have a disservice to his skills and his football IQ. But, man, Andy right now sure is trying to play him like a regular three-down back, punching it up the center, fighting through holes where I'm sorry, you know, it's like made of muscle or not, being 5'8 in the NFL is only going to get you so much when you have to plug through an offensive line and a defensive line full of six foot six monsters. So I'm with you. I don't understand why we're not seeing more wheel routes with him. You know, even some sort of like, you know, multiple running back package where you fake it somewhere to, I don't know, Williams, and you know you got Clyde Edwards-Alaire cutting across the center. He's got great hands. We've seen that the few times he's gotten to show it off. But, man, is this is this more offensive line play, or is this more on Clyde Edwards-Alaire? It feels like we're, we're getting back to the offensive line again. I think at the end of the day, I agree with whichever of you said the playbook is surprising because we really just don't need him to be that kind of back. We don't need him to run up the gut every play, even though – maybe the converse of what you just mentioned that we saw in week one that we haven't seen since really, but his size and low center of gravity can be an asset in, in that situation. You know, it's maybe been exposed lately by the fact that he's not as much of a truck as maybe we were used to with a Kareem Hunt or a Jamal Charles. But again, I maybe want to go back to my point of last week. I think it was last week, but yeah, uh, where... I think as we near the mid-season, we're going to see some more Andy Reid conservatism that we used to rail on in years past. Uh, although at this point, he's proven it, right? Like, we won a Super Bowl. And so I think I think we sort of earned that conservatism in the mid-season and kind of tweaking the playbook and saving some for the end of the year in the playoffs. Um, I, I will touch really quickly, Reese, about about um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's flaws. It is very concerning that on the goal line, well, one, Andy knew we were going to be in the red zone a lot this year, right? But we have a running back that we know cannot score in the red zone. So Andy has to throw to Anthony Sherman. And Andy has to throw to Eric Fisher. And then also last week during that two-point conversion play, I mean, Pat has to pull something out of his ass to score in the red zone, which pisses me off because it's like, okay, 
if we're in the playoffs, we're in the red zone, they're just going to double team Travis Kelsey, and then they're just going to put a big body on Hill because they know they don't have to worry about any rushing attack. And then and then they'll put a linebacker on Patrick so Patrick doesn't score. You no, know, Patrick has had more rushing touchdowns than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has had in the, in the red zone. So that is a very concerning going forward because we are going to be in the red zone a lot. But what are we going to do? Well, let's talk more about targets then and the fact that we lost Sammy Watkins again, speedy recovery to him, but the fact that Whenever we lose Watkins, we don't seem to have a clear-cut number two pure wide receiver. I'm not going to count Travis Kelsey in here, which, by the way, I think you guys all saw, according to uh, Pro Football Focus, Travis Kelsey is now the best blocking run, uh, tight end in the league. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I'm just saying. But more importantly, we don't seem to have a, a true number two wide receiver. And it's it's a little concerning to me, you know, because Demarcus Robinson really hasn't stepped up this year. when he He's kind of known for stepping up in the absence of others. You know, Pringle... Not seen a whole bunch of stuff from him this year, but the most concerning of which is Mecole Hardman, guys. Like we're we're now about a season and change into his career, and he's still looking like I don't know luxury D'Anthony Thomas right now. A lot of gadget plays, <laughs> a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of misdirections and big plays, but he's not developing the skills of a reliable number two or even number three wide receiver right now. Are you guys worried about that at all? Yes, I am very worried about McCole Hardman because we saw him as a Tyreek Hill blueprint, right? We saw him like he was going to be like Tyreek Hill, where Tyreek Hill was a gadget player, and then Tyreek Hill started to develop as a route runner. But we haven't seen that route running ability in McCole Hardman like we did with Tyreek Hill. So I'm concerned because I don't know whether they don't trust McCole Hardman to do that or whether Andy Reid hasn't implemented McCole to be that number two guy. Because, yeah, during this whole season and even last season, McCole Hardman was never a route runner. McCole Hardman was never featured in the offense. Even though he has the talent to do it, it seems like Andy does not trust him. Yeah, McCole Hardman last year was in particular like really, uh, you know, rugsing a lot of people, if that makes sense. Uh, as I mentioned earlier <laughs> in the game, you know, like rugs would always just be wide open and bust in big plays. And that seemed to be where a majority of McCole Hardman's production came from last year. But this year, I think we can all agree we kind of expected him to step up and start developing a little bit more as a true wide receiver, which, man, I hope we don't have to play the Rams anytime soon because you better believe Jalen Ramsey's going to call him a special team specialist again. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we are running out of time on this podcast, I think it's important to put this one behind us, bury it deep, and look on to next week. We have the Buffalo Bills on our schedule, which is really the last Titan that we have to play in the early season, let alone probably the best team we're playing for the rest of the regular season. Are you guys more concerned, less concerned? Do you think Buffalo is the real deal? Let, let's start dishing, guys. It's been flexed to prime time on Monday, 4 p.m. Yeah, dude, they hired like the Mac commissioner to schedule this one. <laughs> when do you want it? <laughs> oh, I want it Wednesday at 11 a.m. Great, you have it. No, but oh, yeah. Liquor, liquor laws, <laughs> gas stations don't sell alcohol past four, so we should do it at four. <laughs> the game's going to be called by like. Pal Reichels and Boney 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 Vare. Yeah, so that this game's definitely going to be called by uh, Pal Reichels and Dis Dollinsworth. <laughs> oh, not Dis Dollinsworth. 
Oh man, no, I, I agree. It's it's going to be weird having a 4 p.m. game. Are are they keeping it on CBS like they did last time, or is this going to be like is ESPN saying now nah, we get all Monday night exclusives now? Oof, I don't, I don't. Know. It, it's probably all CBS, just like the last one. Also, it's really funny that ESPN doesn't even like acknowledge that there's another game on Monday night Oh yeah, for like the whole week. This game's on Fox, you guys. <laughs> it's Fox wow. at 4 o'clock Central. Why are two oh AFC teams playing on Fox? Fox That's a 5 p.m. kick oh. in Buffalo. Dude, are we getting Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman on this one? The, the nightcap oh, no. is Cardinals and Cowboys at 7.15 prime oh. time. Oh. Garbage garbage Gross. well we've gotten through the pregame jitters now what do you guys think of how the actual game is going to go do you think buffalo has the <laughs> sorry i kind of derailed this no there. it's fine do you think buffalo has the tools needed to dissect us in the way the raiders did are you concerned or do you think we're going to kind of put this in the rearview mirror regroup and rally well reese you know i'm a resume guy so let's look at the bill's resume shall we week one a 10 point victory against the 0 and 5 jets week two a three-point victory away against the Miami Dolphins. Week three, a three-point victory against the Rams, who were not yet playing at the level that they are even now. And week four is when they held the Raiders to 23 points. That one stings a little bit. Uh, and then uh, Bill's Titans has been postponed. I think we've seen a lot of stat padding in the first four games. So this game is going to be a real test of how good they are. Yeah, that's what concerns me the most is that this is going to be a measuring stick game for them and they're really going to want to come out and like put us through a table or something like that. You know, I think Josh Allen obviously is playing far better than he did last year, but as you just noted, they've had a pretty easy schedule up to this point, you know, whereas we played still Deshaun Watson of the Texans, you know, we've played still a Bill Belichick Patriots team. It, we, we've played a not a murderer's row, but a lot of good teams. And, you know, this kind of brings me back to something I wanted to ask earlier what do you think is more indicative of this Chiefs team right now? The team that handled the Texans pretty well and straight up waxed Baltimore? Or do you think it's the team that very well could have, maybe should have lost to the Chargers, the Patriots, and now did lose to the Raiders? I mean, kind of talking about what we talked about before, never count Patrick Mahomes out of the game, but there is a clear script as to how to expose our defense. So going forward, that's that's never going to change. Never going to change. You know, uh, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Honey Badger, Juan Thornhill have to play elite for them to counterbalance any defensive back exposure, which could happen, right? But going forward, Traverius Ward's going to be Traverius Ward. Rashad Fenn's going to be Rashad Fenn, right? Anthony Hitchens is Anthony Hitchens. Sorensen is definitely Sorensen, right? So all those exposures are still going to be a factor. But good news is after this Bills game, um, the uh, the uh, Chiefs have the easiest schedule in the NFL uh, according to their strengths of schedule. Chiefs have the easiest schedule after this, so I think it's going to be fine. Going back to your original point, Reese. We played really well against very good teams, right? Texans look like they're not great right now, but going into it, they were a playoff team, and we killed them. The Ravens are still considered the second-best team in the AFC, if not the third, to, like, the Steelers. We killed them, right? The Bills are now touted to be this 4-0 monster. Um, Josh Allen is looking like he might have a 6,000-yard season. Stefan Diggs is playing amazing, which actually I think that's true. I actually always have liked Stefan Diggs. He just 
in a bad Vikings offense. And then Singletary is also a very good running back. So I think they're going to play great. But Kansas City shows up when they need to show up. They didn't show up against the Raiders because they took them for granted. They aren't going to take this Bills team for granted. They're also looking at the end of the schedule saying, it's getting really easy after this. So let's just play our hearts out and let's win the rest of the year. Armando, I need you to come and give me all my locker room speeches for the rest of time because I mean, you, you straight <laughs> Yeah, that was great. You straight up changed my opinion on the game. I'm not saying the sky is falling. Uh, I was just worried as I've mentioned already multiple times that there is now the blueprint on how to beat the Chiefs and it's a matter of doing it. So the difference now is the Chiefs th- those are all things the Chiefs can affect themselves. They don't have to let their offensive line get beat. The secondary can really lock down on their assignments, you know, and not get blown up for big plays. Patrick Mahomes can have a half second to a second more in the pocket before bailing out. You know, and that's that's what's really good. These are a lot of internal factors on the Chiefs, not external factors. So, you know, I'm I'm gonna say I believe the Chiefs at full power, the team that really waxed Baltimore in Baltimore and not the team that's really not played well against lesser competition. So I'm not going to book this one as the Chiefs win as I may have earlier in the week, but I think we have a really good chance to go back in there, reset the course, and just remind the league who this team is. You guys, this game takes place in the state of New York, which means I missed a fantastic opportunity to joke about Tony Romo's alter ego, Boney Cuomo. Oh, no. (laughs) Is that the lead singer of Weezer's cousin? (laughs) We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM. Find us on Instagram at FountainCitySM to get updates on the podcast, sports, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friends Kyle and Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 